Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a lovely day in Fort Worth, Texas. And today I welcome Professor of Philosophy at Texas Christian University, Dr. Blake Hester to the show. As well as being a professor, Blake is also engaged in contemplative studies and basically shifted his focus about seven years ago, building an experiential philosophy program and a study abroad program and uh, two courses in mind, consciousness and self and the ecology of self. Um, and basically to address current needs, especially our well-being and, uh, and climate change awareness. So some of those subjects are, are going to be the topic of our discussion today. So it's a, it's a joy to welcome Blake Hester to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Thanks, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Well, good. Thank you. Um, you know, there's an old adage, isn't there, that goes back to Roman times. Uh, what is it? A healthy body, a healthy mind and a healthy body, right? Um, and right. it could could well apply to our relationship to the planet, right? Unless we um, bring a sanity. <laughs> and it's, sometimes human beings lack that in some ways. You know, we go about our business um, blind, whistling past the graveyard, you know. And we know things are dire, and yet we don't do anything about it. There's a built-in complacency or maybe somebody else is going to take care of it um, and now we got our young people you know uh, there was just a, a, a climate change summit last week right a youth summit uh, that are telling us you know this is not going to work you know we got we have to do something and not say nice words so how, how do we how do we instill that sense of um, really urgency that we got to we got to get uh, our minds to the right place before we can take uh, effective action yeah, exactly. I, I I wish I had the the capital A answer on this. <laughs> right. Uh, it's um, it's obviously a complex uh, complex subject because we're complex, um, and and the, the world is rich and and wonderful in so many ways. I I was I was thinking this morning. I Wednesdays or Tuesdays are my take out the recycling days. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm just not making any difference at all in doing that. It's just a small drop in the bucket. Right. But nevertheless, simply the act of it is um, 
it's a it's a way of it's a way of living um and and although the consequences are significant um i certainly think that um our attitude in going about it uh counts as well and so um one of the things I've I've been thinking quite a bit about is how um, the whole idea of sustainability is played out in the United States uh, and in some respects internationally. Um, this notion of sustainability is it tends to be cast out in terms of uh, what's referred to as outer sustainability. So outer sustainability is you know it, it's public policy. It's technology, um, it's um, activism, uh, students and young folks getting together and protesting um, and having their voices heard. I mean, that stuff is, that stuff is all important. Um, but one of the things that I think has been left out of that conversation largely, though not exclusively, um, is the idea of inner sustainability. And inner sustainability is where we begin to get into uh, this whole idea of contemplative practice and how we can um, develop practices to um, enhance um, our own self-growth. And to and I think what's what's fundamentally important about these practices is helping us connecting more deeply with our social and ecological interconnectedness. Um, it's one of the things that I think in our, our Western worldview, um, our Western traditions has been, has been missing uh, from the conversation and missing from our own understanding of how we comport ourselves with each other and with the environment. Um, for, just for an example, um, I just the the ecology and, and uh, like the environmental movement in the United States has traditionally been cast out in terms of preserving our natural resources, and that takes that takes the earth to be to be something separate from us that is a resource that we use and we we mine it for things that we need to like make laptops. And we drill it for oil and natural gas, and we grow stuff on it, and we raise cattle on it uh, to eat and so forth. Um, and then, and then we use it as a receptacle, so it's treated as a resource and receptacle. And that's um that's a very sort of disconnected way of thinking. And I'm I'm interested in how the contemplative practices can help us um, see see beyond those conceptual, structural waters and understand the ways in which we are more deeply interconnected with the, uh, with the world around us. So uh, yes. this, this whole idea of inner sustainability and it draws in um, conversations about um, um, climate change, draws in conversations about socioeconomic inequity, um, as well as uh, 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 the, the benefits of contemplative practice for promoting human flourishing and well-being. And I think all of that stuff is kind of uh, 
it's the stuff that we need to talk about more of um, publicly with each other. Um, uh, because I, I, I just, I see that as, is a strategy for longer term sustainability. And I'm not alone on that. I, I was just have been really excited to see so much research that's starting to be done in this area of inner, uh, inner transformation and inner sustainability. Um, but it, I mean, it's like no news to uh, the indigenous wisdom traditions um, and, and say the Buddhist traditions and other, other traditions around the world you know, have this same sort of, disconnected sense of uh, uh, the relationship with our environment. Well, you know, to that point, I, I became a, a master naturalist last year as one of the programs that are offered in, in the state of Texas. You know, it's a combination uh, between the um, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and um, the AgriLife Extension Services of uh, Texas A&M, you know. And they do yep. wonderful work, and it's based on, on, you know, huge amounts of volunteer hours to preserve our environment. But all through the program, you know, they refer to natural resources. And so, you know, even an eco-aware group like that is still using that term resources, um, which is a commodif commodifying isn't it, of, of nature rather than seeing nature as sacred. And yet I would say that the, the work that's done, you know, by that um, program is is much more in line with what you're talking about, you know, sustainability, eco-awareness. Um, so, uh, you know, it's uh, interesting, though. It's hard to get away from those terms, you know. We, we sort of see nature and have been since, you know, industrialization. We've seen nature in that regard, right, a as a commodity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, certainly not to um, denigrate or, or, or be at all critical of the work, the really incredible work that, that folks are doing. Um, it's, you know, it, we can't help it. <laughs> we're, yeah. like we're, we're enculturated. We're raised with, I mean, this, this tradition is quite deep. Um, and um, so it, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's automatic or, or just natural for us to slip into that way of talking. Um, but I've found, I've certainly found working with my students that, um, for example, uh, in discussions about human flourishing, so this is like, I'm really interested in this idea of, of flourishing that we receive from something like Aristotle. There's so many there are different connect, uh, conceptions of flourishing um, floating around. But one of the things I like about Aristotle's conception of flourishing is um, that it's an activity. Um, it's not. It's not a feeling. Um, it's not a state. Um, and and I found working with my students in my ancient Greek philosophy courses, as well as my um, this these synthesis of philosophy of mind and ecology courses that I teach, that once we start thinking sort of outside of uh, these Western structures as much as possible and looking more at our interconnectedness, this notion of flourishing as an activity begins to make a little more conceptual sense to us. Um, and I found that the, the students begin to resonate with that a whole lot more. Um, and I'm, I, I think that this is a, a really helpful way of 
kind of helping us break out of this this traditional way of thinking. Um, and and the idea I, I have is that, I mean, this will just enhance the environmental work that we're already doing that is so important. Well, you know, they say that uh, all the individual work that we do um, in, in terms of sustainability or ecology or whatever is fruitless, you know, unless the government's changed something drastically. And so there's, but I don't agree with that actually, because maybe statistically that might be true, right? But once you change people's habits and minds uh, around these themes, these topics, um, and, and they understand the, the importance of it, then, you know, larger entities, the macro world of government, governmental agencies, governments, you know, the whole power structure, then they begin to pay attention, I think. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I think if we can get enough people to shift their consciousness, then there literally is, you know, a tipping point or whatever where, where larger changes happen. Um, and so I'm encouraged by that. So I, I'm always a big advocate of, you know, put it into practice, you know, however simple way we can. But I love this idea of action. You know, it was David Cooper, wasn't it, that said God is God is a verb, right? Um, it's it's not about <laughs> yeah yeah it's not about um, you know articulating wonderful ideas uh, as as Greta Thunberg said last week you know we've heard all those wonderful ideas blah 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 you know but uh, now we now we have to put it into practice and I love the idea of nourishing because it's a reciprocal thing isn't it the more you give the more you receive that's what we teach in Unity you know that that there's that uh, reciprocal arrangement in the universe. And, and so, you know, you feel good in giving in that regard. And, and so you want to do more of it. Absolutely. I, I, you use the word practice there, which um, I, I really appreciate. Um, I mean, the activity of flourishing really is a practice. And, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, and, and back to the point you made about, I want to circle back around to that, but you made the point about, you know, outer sustainability and, and so many people thinking that's the way we have to go. We, it has to be done through public policy and throwing technology at it and so forth. I attended the, um, the Mind and Life Summer Research uh, Institute uh, this past summer, and the topic was on um, earth care practices and uh, uh, the, uh, the indigenous wisdom traditions and uh, so many wonderful talks. It was a week-long um, uh, a conference, workshop, um, experiential activity, and um, and there was one there was one person there who was arguing the outer sustainability line that we have to do this. But most people there who were giving the big talks were arguing the other side of things that we need to think about transforming ourselves if we're going to be talking about long-term sustainability. I mean, you can throw public policy and technology at us all day long, but if we're not changing, then those reciprocal relations that you just mentioned are not going to be long-term effective. Right, exactly. And that's why I, this idea of, of a practice, of, of flourishing as a practice, it's something that, um, I mean, it's multidimensional and so forth, but, um, I mean, Aristotle's, as you know, and I'm sure many of your uh, listeners know, that Aristotle's conception of happiness is, uh, the word is eudaimonia in Greek, 
um, which literally means something like well-spiritedness, but he doesn't, he doesn't exactly mean that. He means, uh, well, specifically, he says it's the activity of the soul in accordance with human excellence over a complete life. Um, and, and for Aristotle, the soul is nothing but the natural functionalities of the living body. It's our nutritive and locomotive and reproductive capacities, our motive capacities and our rational capacities, all of that. And, and so developing those, particularly our, our repetitive, emotional, and rational capacities, is a practice. You have to work at it. It's it, just like in the Buddhist tradition. Um, even the Buddhist philosophical practice, I mean, it's a practice itself that is woven into uh, the general practice of alleviating suffering and uh, seeking enlightenment. Um, but, these, but this practice, it's not... It can't just be an individual, isolated practice. We have to remember that we're embodied and embedded in the world, right? That these activities, they involve other people. They involve other animals. They involve the planet, the earth around us. And so um, Aristotle talks about this in terms of uh, King Priam. Uh, who you know, lost his kingdom was considered to be the most virtuous of all Greeks, of well, uh, of all uh, uh, of all people, and and uh, at the end of you know lost his life at the hands of Neoptolemus, his kingdom. Um, and Aristotle says, well, no one would consider this person to have lived happily, yet he was the most virtuous at all. Well, why? Well, because there are these other things that we need, these external goods, as Aristotle describes them. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not particularly advocating Aristotle's view per se, but I'm really struck by this idea of um, flourishing as an activity that is something embodied and embedded in the world. And these reciprocal relationships you mentioned, uh, they're so important at working to generate. And I don't think outer sustainability by itself can accommodate that. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, what came into my mind was um, was rewilding, you know, which which is uh, something that's uh, gained um, importance in recent years, especially I think in Europe. I think it's it's catching on here too. Um, you know, the the idea of reintroducing um, species, key species, you know, key, uh, that uh, have been uh, eradicated over the years, or you yep. the side part of your farmlands for the wild, you know, and, and, and yields have gone up, you know, not down because the farmers have increased the, the, the ecological um, variety of the, of the landscape they're in. And it's, it's more viable. Um, and, and yet at the same time, you know, is, is helping uh, lower emissions and uh, increase wildlife. So, um, it's it's the, again it, to me that's a reciprocity you know the, the both sides are winning here you know I think that's the key uh, so yep. often people don't want to do um, you know ecologically aware things because they think they're going to be too expensive um, it, it's it's going to slow down progress you know etc I think we're we're fairly bad in in the in the Sun Belt you know I look around Fort Worth Texas and the Metroplex and and see the you know the extreme growth of course that because everybody's moving here. Um, but, you know, very little is put aside as, uh, as wild space. And I'm encouraged, actually, that the Fort Worth Council decided to look for open spaces, not necessarily for parks, but just to leave them open 
And uh, that that's a good initiative, I think, you know, because if you if you build on everything, um, it diminishes your awareness of, of, of the other, of the nature, which is not the other, actually. It's part of us, right? But we we see it as the other, something to be uh, controlled, you know, commodified, like we said earlier. So, you know, anything that shifts our awareness like that, so we, we treat it a little more tenderly. Another example, I think, is, is Ducks Unlimited, you know, which is, which is uh, a pro-hunting lobby, but it also preserves wildlife and wetlands for the ducks. So, you know, the ecology wins in that regard, too. So there's many ways to slice this, right? It, there doesn't have to be the enmity between the, you know, those that wish to um, develop everything and then these crazy conservationists. Well, uh, yeah, I, yeah, see the, the, yeah, the clear cutting, the clear cutting of land, uh, and the scraping of the land to build more homes, uh, without consideration of, of the environmental impact is, um, is a real challenge. And, uh, I, it, we definitely see it here in the Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth Metroplex for sure. Um, and I was, in fact, I've, I've, writing a little bit about this and i um uh grew up my early childhood was spent in uh central arkansas and uh it, it's painful for me to go back i i spent a lot of time um on my great grandmother's farm uh and working <laughs> it put me to work starting at about four, four years old uh and um and when i go back now when i go back now it's, uh, that land is gone. Um, I mean, it's there, but it's it's no longer farmland, and um, it's very it's very difficult to see. And and what's replaced it is is what is not sustainable. My great grandmother was completely sustainable in the sense that she lived in she lived off the land. Um, she grew everything there um, and lived a very uh, a very rich, wonderful life. Um, um, though, I mean, this, I mean, there, there's another, there's another issue here you know, lurking behind all this is, I mean, not only, I, I always, when I think of our environmental challenges, I also think of our socioeconomic, uh, challenges with respect to inequity and injustice and, just the fact that that all of this is taking place on lands that were taken from at least in the Dallas Fort Worth area, the Wichita and affiliated tribes, and in central Arkansas where I grew up, the uh, Quapaw and Caddo uh, tribes, and um, um, and it, um, it it there's another sort of disconnection there that is uh, that is deeply traumatic and. Um, there's something else that needs to be healed. Uh, you know, we, uh, you started off the show talking about healing, uh, very much taken by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's um, line that uh, healing ourselves is, is healing Earth. And healing, healing ourselves through inner transformation, but also healing our relationships with others, um, all that is, is part of Earth care, is practice Absolutely. for better better folks then we'll do better things for the world around us it's kind of a socratic line in fact from the apology 
Well, I like the, um, the the word that was that Thich Nhat Hanh coined, you know, the idea of interbeing, right? Um, yeah. that, that, and interspirituality, that, that, that we're connected at a very deep level, that everything's connected. It's, it's a bit like Chang um, Zhu or whatever that, you know, he, what, he dreamt that he was, what, a butterfly having a, be, being a human. Then he woke and thought, what am I in a butterfly having a human experience or am I a human <laughs> dreaming I'm a butterfly? Yeah. Whatever. There is that interconnectedness there, right? And um, you, you know, I love that idea. And it's, again, it's walking gently on the earth, isn't it? Instead of, uh, you know, rapaciously, you know, um, yeah, using the the resource. And um, but it's beautiful, I think, and we all resonate with it. See, and that's the thing. I, this is why I'm in, uh, a, a unity minister, I guess, because I'm endlessly positive. Uh, I think that all all human beings actually resonate with these th things we're talking about. I, I I just sometimes think they're not educated or they they don't see the connection. But uh, it seems to me when when people are awoke awakened to this idea that yes, okay, that makes sense, right? That there's um, it's a good thing to to care for things, you know. Uh, but we compartmentalize. We have our, our nice little homes that we spend a lot of time working on and, and then we have our you know industrial sites and and then that's well we need that because we're going to progress or whatever but we don't see the connection sometimes but you know in the, in the larger environmental sense and or in, or in the inner sense that you're talking about that inner spiritual mm -hmm. work that we need to do yeah yeah More and it's, uh, the, the philosopher the philosopher uh Berlo ponty says um, the world is entirely on the inside and we are entirely outside of ourselves. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I really resonate with that. And, um, I mean, he's in the phenomenological tradition where that, that makes, um, sense in a particular sort of way. But I think there's a message there that's common, uh, also to the Buddhist tradition and, uh, uh -huh. Thich Nhat Hanh and, um, you know, this, uh, I think this awakening, it can begin, it, it, the education certainly is a part, but uh, the practice is broader, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh Han is always talking about, you know, every step, every breath is a miracle. Mm -hmm. And just right. slowing down to notice that and appreciate it and its wonderness wonderfulness is, I mean, that's the beginning of a transformation there, I think. Yeah, I think we're at the break. Um, folks, I'm with uh, Professor Blake Hester. We're talking about philosophical subjects, but we're br really bringing them down into the practical. And I love the idea of nourishing ourselves and our world. Um, join us after these messages from Unity. We'll continue our discussion. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 
We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. Thank you so much for listening to World Spirituality and perhaps other shows on the Unity Online Network. And if you feel guided, please uh, donate to us so you can keep this voice of an awakening world on the air. And note that my new book, uh, Unity and World Religions, is due to come out from Unity Books later this year. Keep an eye out for that. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. So it covers a lot of the topics that we've uh, referenced today, actually. And I'm here with uh, Blake Hester. He's professor of philosophy at Texas Christian University here in Fort Worth, Texas. We've talked a a lot about um, how we shift um, consciousness, because I think this is key um, to to change. If if we're going to protect our planet, Uh, we love Mother Earth. We're going to look after her. And by the way, Mother Earth's going to be fine. Uh, we may not, you know, we may we may not survive, but uh, the the Earth itself will. And, and catastrophes have happened before. Um, I'm sure the dinosaurs, after 140 million years on the planet, weren't too happy to say bye bye. But uh, you know, from from a one little rodent, I think that was left, uh, came all the mammals that we we see around us today, including ourselves. So uh, Mother Nature is endlessly creative, and so for that we give thanks. And it's already adapting, I think, to, to climate change, so I've been reading, um, but adapting in, in negative ways sometimes with more um, extreme weather, uh, again, which we've, we've um, experienced lately. But we want to be practical in this second half of the show. Um, we've already mentioned uh, this idea of nourishing, and I, I love that idea of well-being. Um, as a way to turn the tables on uh, the pain that we feel uh, and the helplessness uh, to do something. And, uh, to, and the, the only thing you could do is change your own consciousness, change your attitudes to things, um, because that's probably the most powerful tool you have in, in, the, in the arsenal of, um, of living wisely. Um, but I know that uh, you're involved with various programs, um, Blake, in terms of... Uh, uh, retreats and other things. And you, you went on a, a 16-day eco-dharma training and silent retreat right in Colorado this summer. Tell us about that. What was that about? Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I had um, I taught most of the summer and uh, was working on another project that um, I'll mention a little bit later. But um, I had two two weeks open, a um, little over two weeks open before school started, and um, I um, I decided to attend a um, a sixteen day um, as you said eco dharma uh, training, what they call an eco dharma training and silent meditation in uh, uh, outside of uh, Boulder, Colorado. It's about thirty minutes up in the mountains northwest of uh, boulder colorado uh at the eco dharma rocky mountain eco dharma retreat center uh, which is a wonderful wonderful place and um it the uh retreat was taught by the uh the founder uh of this um this place uh johan uh, robbins and along with uh uh, Dharma teacher and philosophy professor David Loy, and um, uh, Dharma teacher 
um, and meditation teacher at the New York Insight Meditation Center, um, uh, Lynn Wayne Gordon. And it was fantastic. Uh, the Ecodharma practice um, is a unique form of um, Dharma practice where we're um, engaging more with the environment. And the idea is to basically, you know, the, the Buddha, the Buddha found enlightenment, um, you know, outside of the, the conventional walls of expectations and artificial environments. The Buddha was, was out with trees and other animals, um, and spending a lot of, um, um, integrating with nature. And, uh, and that's the idea of the, the ecodharma uh, practice is to, to reintegrate with nature, to bring us closer to our natural um, interconnectedness or interbeing with nature. And um, so it was uh, divided into two parts. The first part was a 10-day, uh, more of a training where we had workshops that we uh, participated in. Um, and there were Dharma talks in the evenings. And in between that, there was a lot of mindful hiking uh, and uh, some Q&A discussions. And the rest of the time, we were in silence, noble silence. And then the second part um, was more than noble silence, uh, less of the workshops, um, uh, but still a focus on um, our interrelation with the environment. While we were there, when we got to the Ecodharma Center, um, the smoke from the fires in Northern California and Oregon and Montana, Idaho, was, was I mean, it was blowing in to the mountains. Wow. I mean, I, when I got up to, I went to Boulder a few days earlier to acclimate, and the AQI indices in Boulder and Denver were setting records uh, for their own uh, pollu environmental pollution as well as that what was blowing in from uh, the west and but once we got up at 8600 feet uh, we were really in a, in a lot of smoke and uh, some folks were even wearing masks mm. on and off it eventually cleared up um, but it, it really set the tone for I mean even though you know there was a lot of you know feelings of grief about what we're doing to our planet. And we wanted to explore that. And that was the, one of the intentions of the training is to explore the eco grief. Um, just being there with the smoke as a reminder um, really helps set the tone for the discussions uh, for the rest of the, uh, the rest of the, the retreat. So it was a, it was a phenomenal experience and um, I'm really grateful for all of the work that they have put into that program, they just started up, uh, in fact, they've been active for about five years there is when they got the property. Um, they had a lodge, and I don't know how many acres they have, but um, there are three mountains around them that um, they have access to uh, with a rushing creek that originates with a, a, a lake off of a glacier um, that runs through it. There are moose on the property, and and just like bears, which we don't see much or at all. We just saw no bears when we were there. Um, and it's just so, so beautiful and um, a really, really rich experience. So how um, many people were uh, on, on, the treat, on the retreat with you? 
Yeah, uh, so the first 10 days, there were 18 of us, and uh, then some of those people left, and about half of us stayed on uh, for the second part, and, and a new group uh, came in for that, and I think there was a total of 24, so 24 of us, the, uh, the teachers and uh, facilitators. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, and... Um, and we, uh, it also involves um, some solo camping experiences. We had a two-day solo camp the first 10 days where we uh, take our tents and go into isolation, find a place up on the mountain, and they really encourage us to uh, just stick around the tent and, uh, and simply, simply be, just meditate, notice. Um, and that was quite powerful. Uh, and then in the second part, there was a, a shorter one-day uh, solo experience. Uh, but it's it's really well facilitated and and safe and supportive uh, and nurturing and uh, super friendly. Uh, so it's um, I if anyone's interested in it, I I recommend this place. It's um, they're really doing some excellent work. Yeah, and it's called the uh, what the Ecodama. The Rocky Mountain the, the, Ecodharma Retreat Center. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good. Yeah. So if you're interested in that um, kind of thing, then check check that out. I'm sure there's a a website people can go to 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 find out more. So are these these activities going on, you know, all year round, or I guess not in the middle of the winter, but um, are they not just in the summer, right? Um, the Ecodharma trainings, I think, are just during the summer. Um, they do have they do have uh, smaller retreats um, throughout the year, um, even during the winter. I think um, they have people right. who, who come okay. up. They have, they have a lodge that will hold easy twenty people. Um, it was built back in the forties, I believe, and they've uh, renovated it to some extent, and uh, it's very nice and uh, homey. And they have a zendo inside that they have uh, constructed. Um, I have yeah, a question. Go ahead. Go ahead, finish your thought. I'm sorry. Yeah, I well, um it it may be related to what we're going to talk about later, but um I, I one of the days we was set aside for networking purposes because they really encourage us to to go out and uh start spreading the word about uh, climate change and so forth. And um uh, uh, as David Boyce says, to become eco-sattvas, <laughs> uh, right. playing with the word bodhisattva. And, um, and so that's, that was a really uh, a, a important and, and powerful part of the experience, too, because we, we really didn't know that much about each other until the day that we shared. And it turns out that there's so many people there who are very active in um, uh, uh you know, environmental groups and uh, uh, environmental activist groups and uh, Dharma centers that uh, um, emphasize our relationship with uh, nature and so forth. And that is a really wonderful part of it, too. So what would you say were the top two things you learned to bring down off the mountain back to the work that you're doing here in Fort Worth, Texas? The two big takeaways for me, were um, the importance of doing what we can to slow down. Um, I have to say that it took me, I have uh, just 
all the obligations and responsibilities I have at my university. Um, lots of teaching, lots of meetings. Um, I have lots of activities I do on Zoom uh, in addition to that. And it took me five, five days to really slow down and drop into the, uh, the experience. And I didn't realize the extent to which I was I, I feel that I'm fairly aware of my sense of interconnectedness, but I didn't realize the extent to which um, all this time that I had spent online, on my laptop, on Zoom, uh, had affected me. And right. uh, so it, it was really helpful in that. And um, I think probably the second uh, thing, major takeaway from it is how much grief I carry about what um, I, we have done to the planet. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we spend a lot of time talk, yeah, like exploring that, exploring those feelings and talking about them in, uh, in small groups and large groups. And, um, and the contemplative practices, the meditation helps us work with that. And the other side of grief is, uh, as, as they presented, is love. And love is expansive, and love is uh, what connects, and um, it's uh, that that grief can be it doesn't necessarily go away. Maybe we don't want it to go away. Uh, it can be a great motivator for um, for helping us open to uh, this deeper deeper sense of connectedness with each other and uh, and the planet, so that we can heal all these relations. Yeah, two very important points. Thank you for that. Wonderful takeaways. By the way, folks, I did a show on September 7th, if you want to go into the archives, on the art of stopping uh, with David Kuntz. And uh, that was an excellent Mm. show, excellent book. uh, And it speaks to the slowing down uh, that can be very effective for us. So, yeah, the art of stopping on September 7th. You know, one of the things I've noticed is, you know, a lot of the the things that we seem to be caught up in are simply habits. And once you break the habit, you know, it's gone. For instance, my TV uh, refused to work. I I think uh, there was an electrical storm and it it zapped it. And uh, and so since then, it's been about three months ago, I have not watched any television. I I must admit I've watched a couple of of shows on on my laptop, right? But but nothing compared to what I was watching. I I wasn't a big TV person anyway. But the fact that it didn't work, I didn't rush out and get another one. I thought, you know, oh, well, I, I don't need to be watching all that television anyway. And um, I haven't missed it, actually. So it's almost a habit. If you Again, if you have, something happens to your phone and you, your screen time's down, you know, after a while, and, and the initial, uh, you know, um, you have to go through cold turkey a little bit, like, oh, no, I got to have my fix. But after you break that habit, it's like, why was I spending so much time on this? So... You know, it's it's a little bit of discipline, and we can make a big shift in our lives. It seems to me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in. Um, I appreciate but, I appreciate you throwing that in, and I resonate with that so much, uh, Paul. I um, seven years ago, um, when I I made this shift, I um, into this this sort of integrating the different dimensions of my life, and focusing more on what we can do. Uh, with respect to the the planet, um, I had I returned from a pretty lengthy time 
uh, traveling abroad. And uh, I was in um, South Korea and then, and then all through Europe uh, for uh, pretty much the entire summer. And um, when I got back home, I had a television. I switched on the television, and uh, uh, I just I, I I couldn't <laughs> I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I and, and I, I the, just the way things were presented, the flatness of it, the the hysteria of it, and that was it. And I got rid of it, and um, and I haven't looked back. Right. Even though I do have to use Zoom, of course, to communicate with people and so forth, but I don't have that anymore. And it's made a uh, a huge difference. It's freed up lots of time. I still love movies, and and so I'll go to see a movie. Um, but uh, it, um, yeah, there's something about that 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 habit that we get into, uh, particularly that sort of habit that. Uh, before we know it, we've we've lost uh, lost a sense of sense of the path. So I know you you started a a nonprofit uh, recently. Tell us about that initiative. Started a um, started a what? Uh, a nonprofit uh, eco retreat. Oh yes, um, a nonprofit. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. So. I and three of um, my close friends and uh, uh, folks I've worked with before, uh, people who have um, really gone deep into uh, contemplative practice themselves, we um, got together and formed a nonprofit organization. It's called the Mind Body Ecology Institute, and it is dedicated uh, or at least motivated by our shared concern about the intersection of climate change, environmental degradation, and socioeconomic inequity, um, combined with uh, our compassionate dedication to earth care practices and uh, human flourishing. So uh, ultimately what we're doing is offering eco-retreats where uh, we facilitate spaces. We think of ourselves as space holders and, and facilitators of meditation and a variety of contemplative practices, different modalities uh, that are designed to um, help promote inner transformation, which is what we were talking about in the first part of the show. And, um, and so, in fact, we have uh, we have a uh, a ten day eco retreat that is planned. We'll be leaving. It's in Costa Rica this year, uh, and we think the uh, the pandemic will be will be in our favor uh, by the end of May. So we're scheduled to leave May twenty sixth, and we'll be down there through June sixth. And um, uh, enrollment is actually open right now, as a matter of fact, and folks can check that out on our website which is mindbodyecologyinstitute.org. Uh, but, but the idea is, is really to get, uh, we have some things scheduled for in, in the country, in state as well. But the idea is to get out of the city and in some cases get out of the country so that we can see better the structural waters within which we swim 
and that we can be in non-artificial environments as much as possible, we won't be camping. But we won't be in resorts uh, or uh, fancy retreat centers either. And it will allow us to, um, I think, we think, uh, we know, deepen our practices together and also help us uh, reconnect with, uh, with the land and uh, in some cases other people depending on where we go. Fascinating. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, check that out, folks, if that's something that uh, interests you. And, you know, the, Blake's doing a wonderful work here with all these projects, but uh, this this is something that's happening in, in many areas. I think I know the contemplative studies programs, you know, around the country, often based in universities, you know, have been doing wonderful work, right? And there's even departments now dedicated to wellness. Uh, uh, and and combining science and spirituality, you know, underpinning uh, the spiritual endeavor with the uh, studies of how well-being is is uh, actually you can track it in the brain and in the body. Um, so uh, there's there's many things that are happening. We, I, I referenced rewilding earlier, and that's something that's gaining um, importance in the states right now. Um, one of the great successes, of course, was the reintroduction of the wolf in um, Yellowstone, which which uh, enabled a trophic cascade, as they call it. Um, uh, the elk uh, were um, less because of the, uh, the wolves were there. And so uh, species that were suffering and, and plants that were suffering were, were, re, were able to rebound. And I think there's more beaver now, there's more uh, uh, eco-diversity as, as a result of it reintroducing wolves. So, um, you know, it, it, if we give Mother Nature a chance, things can shift, right? Um, you know, it doesn't take always take a huge amount of effort. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I mean you can really begin, as, as we were talking about earlier, with just appreciating those steps that we take. And noticing, you know, the step, each step is, is uh, itself, you know, can be a metaphor for um, how we comport ourselves towards, uh, towards the world and other people around us. Each breath, in fact. I, you, there's so much uh, exciting stuff that's happening in, uh, in the world of, of, like, inner transformation, contemplative practice, and so forth. Um, some of it gets some press. Uh, we have uh, at TCU, um, Mark Dennis and Andy Fort and I, Andy has been on your show before, I know, um, uh, are uh, uh, part of the uh, what we call um, studies program at TCU. Now, CALM stands for uh, uh, Contemplative Awareness and Living Mindfully, Compassionate Awareness and Living Mindfully. And... Um, so we, we host meditations for students, and um, I integrate meditation, mindful movement, uh, journaling, and other contemplative practices into my um, ecology of self and philosophy of mind courses. It's a first-person entryway into the material. It's good for students. We have a connection with the folks at the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin, where Richie Davidson and John Dunn are. Um, and in fact, we're bringing their... Um, uh, pilot course, the art and science of human flourishing, to TCU to teach, oh, okay. and um, 
they have also invited us to be part of the Flourishing Academic Network, which is a consortium of um, professors at universities uh, uh, at uh, Wisconsin, Virginia, Penn State, UCLA, um, uh, Stanford, Brown, Johns Hopkins. And the idea of this uh, this network is to think about how we can transform higher education to focus on flourishing, to take yes. up a flourishing model, in fact. And if anyone can do it, uh, these people can do it. They're, there's some really compassionate, um, highly motivated folks who have uh, – who are really, really have great concern for the well-being of uh, of folks, and um, yeah, so I, there's so much going on, and it's wonderful, and uh, and is connecting people together. Yeah, that's wonderful, uh, folks. Let me tell you about next week's show, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Blake to give us one practice, one simple thing that we can take into our week. So. Next week, uh, I'm joined by Edward Bruce Bynum, uh, PhD, who's a clinical psychologist. He's also an Abraham H. Maslow Award recipient. He'll talk about his book called Our African Unconscious, The Black Origins of Mysticism and Psychology. That sounds like a fascinating show, too. So join me then for that uh, right now. Just to wrap up, uh, Blake, what can we practice? What can we put in? One little thing we can do this week. I'm a I'm a huge proponent of loving kindness, what's called metta meditation. And um, so a practice for this week is as you're walking around, taking a walk outside, walking to your car, driving your car, riding your bicycle, whatever. When you see a tree or a plant or an animal, or another person, just silently with to yourself, may you be well. May you be well. Sorry, but the, we're right out of time. But take that with you, folks. May you, may all beings be well and happy, and may you be well and happy. Thank you, Blake, so much. Sorry we run out of time, but that's the way this... Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 